Lord of silence, supreme God of desolation. Though mankind reviles, yet aches to embrace. Strengthen my purpose to save the world from a second ordeal of Jesus Christ and his grubby, mundane creed. Two thousand years have been enough. Show man instead the raptures of thy kingdom. Infuse in him the grandeur of melancholy, the divinity of loneliness, the purity of evil, the paradise of pain. What perverted imagination has fed man the lie that hell festers in the bowels of the earth? There is only one hell, the leaden monotony of human existence. There is only one heaven, the ecstasy of my father's kingdom. Nazarene charlatan, what can you offer humanity? Since the hour you vomited forth from the gaping wound of a woman, You've done nothing but drown man's soaring desires in a deluge of sanctimonious morality. You've inflamed the puberal mind of youth with your appellant dogma of original sin. And now you're resolved on denying him ultimate joy beyond death by destroying me. But you will fail, Nazarene as you have always failed. We were both created in man's image. But while you were born of an impotent God, I was conceived of a jackal, born of Satan, the desolate one, the nail. was but a splinter compared to the agony of my father cast out from heaven the fallen angel banished reviled I will drive deeper the thorns into your rancid carcass you profaner of vices cursed You're listening to Soul Knox Podcast, and I'm your host, Carl Hikarum. And um, this is episode number, I think, 34. And uh, what you just heard might be a little, uh, little uh, 
you know, it's gonna, it's telling you exactly what we're doing. This week, my uh, friend Ralph Schmidt, uh, you know, man behind uh, Ulta, Ropes of Night, co-host of Everything Went Black, some fellow horsemen on the podcast Apocalypse. Uh, Ralph is uh, joining me for uh, a tribute to the legendary and amazing Sam Neill. This is the unholy quadrology of Sam Neill. So we got uh, Omen 3, Possession, In the Mouth of Madness, and Event Horizon. So yeah, uh, that's what we're talking about. It was a great episode to record. Um, one thing that uh, we want to say, though, is that after we recorded the uh, episode, we learned uh, Sam Neill's cancer diagnosis. And... Um, Ralph said in the message, he's like, and we're very shocked about that. Um, and Ralph sent this message, Sam Neill is an icon and both for both of us and the rest of the horsemen are wishing him a speedy and full recovery. So, and that is definitely true. I think everybody, all the horsemen are bona fide fans of Sam Neill. And uh, we all... Uh, have, you know, I definitely admire him as an actor, and uh, and also I've heard, only heard good things about him as a human being as well. So, yeah, I hope that uh, this cancer uh, something that he can beat, and he can keep on, um, you know, acting and and everything, and maybe he he can uh, make a another horror movie to go along with these ones. It would be kind of cool, you know. It's been a while since Event Horizon came out. We need like a. Another uh, crazy Lovecraftian occult movie of Sam Neill. Um, so yeah, that's what's going on this week. Uh, and definitely hope you guys enjoy the episode. Um, it was a lot of fun recording with Ralph, and uh, it was a lot of fun going back and watching all the movies for it, preparing for it. So yeah, very very exciting episode. Um, we got, a let's see, basically like a month ahead now, so, you know, uh, I think, uh, next week is going to be my friend Joe Salino, um, join me, um, Joe works in like the New York, um, New York film industry and whatnot, but uh, yeah, he just came on. We talked about some stuff regarding that. We talked about horror movies and all kinds of stuff. So um, and I'm gonna have him back on again to uh, dig into more, say, the occult and music and whatnot. So uh, that was a cool episode, and that's gonna be up next week. And uh, yep, we're gonna continuing on with everything. Um, and um, what else can I say? Uh, I don't know. I watched Necromantic. This is on Shudder. I, need, I want to try to watch one and two. I watched one so far, and that movie is a fucking trip. I have to say, it's like uh, great music, though. I love the music from that movie. The movie, um, you know, I think it's all right. <laughs> it's definitely something you need to watch. It's an experience, I feel like. And uh, it has elements that I like as well. And, you know, I mainly watched it because I had heard about how it was a big influence and inspiration on the early Norwegian black metal scene. And, uh, you know, Carpathian Forest has the theme for Necromantic on Strange Old Brew. Um, and uh, um, 
was talking to somebody about that yesterday, and he has said that uh, Caprician Force uses as an intro on their uh, live shows as well. So, you know, definitely Necromantic had a big influence, and uh, I think uh, you can kind of see it when you watch it, particularly with the early era of Norwegian black metal when they're kind of death-worshipping, you know. You got that vibe going on in that movie. And, uh, yeah, you know, in a culture of guys who, um, you know, trading, like, fucking skull pieces of dead, you know, I think that the movie probably, you know, um, struck a struck a note inside, you know what I mean? But anyways, let's get into the episode. We're going to uh, shout out uh, the fellow horsemen of the podcast, Apocalypse. We got every other Monday, you have Whore Wolf 666 with Brandon Legion. Um, great podcast with interviews and top 10 lists for horror. Uh, and I just recorded an episode of Brandon tonight that'll be going up um, in a few weeks, uh, about, about a third week of, of uh, April. So, well, more details to come. And um, Tuesdays, we have. Into the Necrosphere with Jackie Smith, which is the best extreme metal podcast out there. And of course, Jackie will be back on eventually on the podcast to do uh, do another episode. Uh, Wednesdays, you have uh, Everything Went Black with Mike Hill. And um, uh, let's see, at some point this month, I'll be uh, part two of our Darkness Weaves um, series. Uh, this month probably won't be an Eldritch Tales, so uh, it might be, you know, the month after we'll do our Darkness Weaves on Soul Knox, and then, um, you know, it might be a couple months, but we're going to uh, bring back Eldritch Tales as well. Um, Thursdays, Mike Hill returns with Mike Scandato and Jeff Kashid for Necromaniacs, which is one of the best horror podcasts out there. If you want, like, Podcast going through uh, my movie and, you know, I always really like hearing what they're, uh, you know, uh, what they're watching and and everything. And, you know, particularly, I mean, nowadays, a lot of times, uh, you know, Mike just messaged me like, oh, he's checked this out. But, you know, uh, still sometimes they'll talk about stuff that, that is coming out, whatnot, so it's cool. Um, uh, and then, um, uh, yep, yeah, uh, kind of unofficial member, uh, member of the Horseman is, uh, Iblis Manifestations of Cheyenne from Tribax, and, uh, yeah, he releases episodes at intermittent times. Oh, and I believe on Fridays we have Break the Apocalypse with John Draper, which is, uh, Mike Scandato's brother. I always forget to include them in my list, so there you go. Um, so yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this episode tonight. Um, and, um, I think to, uh, kick it off, I'm going to play, uh, let's see, Ancient Devil Worship from Ritual Death. Uh, you know, one of my favorite albums from last year. I gotta play a song from it, man. Alright, hope you guys enjoy. Hail Satan.
cool. So, recording now. The um, I was gonna say that um, the, it's funny how we came up with the idea for this episode because it was like at first I just because I just really want to talk about possession of somebody, but I thought that the idea that you had was even better. Like um, because like Sam Neill, I mean he's one of my favorite actors since I was like I don't know um a little kid and saw him in uh, fucking Jurassic Park. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, sure. <clears throat> yeah, it's like I was um, when you when you proposed that, and I mean, you know, like I think from all of you guys, like from all of us in the in the uh, in the horsemen, um, I was the only one that had seen Possession because it's it has been out here for ages on the DVD. <laughs> Excuse me, and um, and I, I I remember like telling Mike, it's like, dude, you have to watch this movie, and it's like I can't find it anywhere, and. And then I remember like talking to Brandon about it, and it's like, yeah. Then all of a sudden, there was the announcement that was in Shutter, and I think you saw it the first time on Shutter, right? No, I. So I am. Um, um, I got lucky because um, I saw Rennie uh, from you know from Starkweather posted a um, yeah picture during during the Halloween, like he was doing his thirty days of Halloween, mm-hmm. and. Um, and it was possession, and he he said it was uh, this brand called Umbrella from Australia mm-hmm. that um did a did a version of it that was all region, and um and so I went immediately pretty much as soon as I I saw that and he said they should they're still available I went on Umbrella's website and bought the the Blu-ray from them mm-hmm. and, you know um and because uh, it was like twenty twenty dollars and got and surprisingly even though it came from Australia I got here and like like four or five days which i thought was crazy crazy. yeah so the um and then i watched the the blu-ray and so which i'm i'm happy that i was able to score that because they did an american version um well like i think earlier in the year like it may be beginning of the year um Mm -hmm. but uh it was kind of hard to find like where to order it and um I kind of, I was like having a hard time finding it, and then it was like every time I saw it, it was like fifty, sixty dollars. Yeah. And, um. So yeah, I was happy to see this umbrella version for like twenty. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I have, I have a um, I have like there's a company called Bildstörung in Germany, and uh, it, Bildstörung is pretty much what you have when uh, like a movie tears or like tore or like a movie just falls out. So like. You have a distorted picture, <clears throat> and they focus on weird, out, uh, uh, like odd, odd movies that like no distribution would touch. And uh, they released it a while back, and um, I remember seeing the cover artwork, like the Medusa kind of picture that like the general poster now is. Yeah, and the Medusa character, like figure, was always something I gravitated to, like. Uh, I think ever since I saw uh, Ray Harryhausen version in um, uh, Clash of the Titans, yeah, yeah. and that's uh, yeah, that's um, that's uh, a character that I still need to get tattooed because uh, I just love that Medusa. So like, there is a woman with like snakes in her head. I'm like, oh, what's that about? And then I was like, I read the description. It's like, yeah, it's an odd movie. <clears throat> it has Sam Neill in it and uh, Isabella Johnny, and I'm like, what the fuck? It's like, how did I have not heard of that movie? 
And it's like, and then the back cover said, like, uh, this movie is about a woman fucking an octopus. That's the only only thing it said on the back. I'm like, what? Okay. So, yeah, it's like, what? And I'm like, okay, I need to score that. So, yeah, um, that's how I got a hold of it, like, years back. And uh, no one fucking knew about it. And when my band Planks was still around, um, we always did, like, I mean, Planks was fairly popular here in germany i mean we even had like a cd re-release on southern lord and but like it wasn't like a big band and we always did like small runs of shirts and back then we were the three piece and i had like full creative control so i always had uh the idea of doing like movie shirts or tv show shirts so we had a Dexter shirt, which had like Dexter on it, and we had a a, a Ben shirt with a Ben character from Lost. Um, we had a Tall Man shirt from Phantasm, and then I had one picture of Isabella Johnny with a knife, like when she's in her apartment in, in possession. Yeah, and uh, that shirt sold like crazy, and everybody said like that's a cool picture. Who, who took it i'm like that's like that's a thing from a movie and they're like what movie so i must have spread the gospel of uh of possession for a while and no one really gave a shit yeah now everybody's talking about it and i'm glad because it's fantastic yeah it's funny how long it's taken for it to to, to finally reach that point where it's like more like easily available to people across the world and stuff you know like because it's like uh possession one of those movies that um that I heard about, like, probably since I was a teenager, you know what I mean? Like, I read about it in books, you know what I mean? Like, and how extreme yeah. the performances were. Saw, like, the movie stills from it, like, of Isabella Johnny and Sam Neill, you know, like, like the, you know, the famous ones where she's, like, walking down the street with the blood and all that kind of stuff, yeah. you know? And I was just always, like, fascinated. It's really intrigued. Like, I was, I was like, I need to see this movie. Yeah. And, um... Yeah, it's literally impossible in the States unless you could order from, um, I guess you could try to find somewhere to order from from Europe. That's what most people did. They'd spend like yeah. $100 to get a, D, a Blu-ray of it, or not Blu-ray, yeah. a DVD of it, you know, or something. Um, so, yeah. And that was, I, that was probably, that was even the copy that I own, like from that German company. Yeah, yeah probably. And it's kind of like, so it's taken a long time, you know, for it to finally really hit like a uh, wider audience. I think hitting shutter in particular was probably really beneficial for it. And I mean, yeah, I think it's just, that's an incredible movie. And, um, and, uh, like it's cool to, and it's cool to not just talk about that one, but talk about the other movies we're going to talk about as well, because, um, like the kind of like talking about like Sam Neill, I mean, like he yeah. fucking, uh, it's the funny thing with Sam Neill is that he, when I was a kid, obviously, like I said, I saw him in like Jurassic Park, and I saw him. Yeah. In, did you ever see the Merlin movie that he did, the TV movie? Uh, no, I haven't. Yeah, I read about it, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, that's a good, that's really good. It's like <laughs> him and Bram. It's got like Miranda Richardson and uh, Isabel um, Rossellini and um, a bunch of other cool people. Uh, Hell on a Bottom Carter. Um, you know, but but I'm as you know used to seeing those things. You don't know, like my dad was a big fan of of Sam Neill, and I 
feel like I remember him kind of being surprised that he was in Jurassic Park because I think my dad had seen like you know maybe like the the, uh, the Omen three and stuff like some of Samuel's mm -hmm. like 80s movies you know and he was and uh, yeah it's like uh, Samuel kind of developed this kind of thing where people kind of saw him as this like straight laced kind of like you know hero type of guy yeah. but then uh, of course the first thing he does too is subvert it and talk, do like the last movie that we're going to talk about, which is Event Horizon, you know, like, yeah. and, and also Mouth of Madness. So it's like, I think he was more comfortable being like the weirdo person. And I think yeah. that, um, like, when I found, when I started like realizing that, that he was mostly, he had done so many of these kinds of movies, I was like, um, there's that kind of fascination of like, oh, wow, like this guy that you had, like, you know, loved like as a hero character is that can yeah. do these like real, crazy parts and um you just gain even more respect for him you know yeah sure yeah that was like when you when you when you reached out it's like hey i want to talk about possession i'm like always i love that movie but i think it has been done like just like a few months earlier on uh on necromaniacs and uh then it was like okay and event horizon <clears throat> was covered uh also like twice i think on Everything in black, they did it like way early on. It was Mike and Mike, and then uh, Evan and uh, Mike did it, and the Patreon. <clears throat> so I'm like, dude, but like, I want to talk about these two movies, but how about like, and that's what I what I had the idea for like Sam Neill's Unholy Quadrilogy. Yeah, because he's he's like he he's been so like he I mean he's been uh, deemed like a, uh, an international leading man, one of the most versatile actors. But, um, I mean, he only pretty much did these four horror-adjacent or, like, straight-up horror movies. And then I found, like, okay, like, all four of them are in my probably top 20 of horror movies of all times. Yeah. And, I got a fuck and I've got a fucking Sam Neill tattoo. So, like, why not talk about Sam Neill? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the, one thing, dude, is cool about uh, Sam Neill is I've never heard anybody say anything bad about him. You know, like, yeah. He's a, yeah, like everybody always says, like he's like the nicest guy and stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's like the way he comes across. Like, whatever role you see him play, like he gives it his all. But he's always like likable and relatable. And yeah. then when you look at like special features and interviews with him, he's always so down to earth and seems like a pleasant guy to be around. And it's like, I know, like, a Necro, they always say, like, they would like to hang out with Rob Zombie because, and talk movies because he seems like a good guy. And it's like, I think Sam Neill, like, I want to have, like, I want to have a dinner with uh, the two guys that I consider the best B-movie actors because they never got the, the praise that they deserve. And I think, to me, like, Sam Neill is one of, like, he's more like a B-movie character you know what i mean like i mean he's been in jurassic park yes he's been in hunt for red october he had a part in peaky blinders and thor but he was never the guy like the main guy in the main blockbusters you know yeah so like that to me is like it's him and the other guys lance henriksen mm. i think yeah. these two these two guys are so fantastic in whatever role they play they like every movie they they act in. They make the movie instantaneously better, and yeah. they both seem like interesting guys to hang out with and talk movies or talk crafts like art craft. You know? 
Yeah, I would agree. Um, that, that's actually a really good point. Like he had, I do see Sam Neill and Lance Hendrickson having kind of similar where, um, they're both like, just like any role you see them in, like you instantly like them and, and you're like, want to watch them, you know? And like, and it can be an evil part. It can be like a good part. It can be a crazy part, whatever it is. Like they always are like so great in that. That's why I always liked, um, the TV show millennium. Like, Oh man. Yeah. 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 Like, um, last, uh, not last year, but the year before for Christmas, I, I found the, um, I got my Christmas present myself was I found the, uh, three volume, three box set of millennium and I got those and, oh man. Yeah. Like that, that show was great. And Glance Hendrickson was like, um, like I just amazing in that show. Yeah. He's, he's, I mean, we can like, at some point, maybe if this thing here, like the Sam Neill project is successful and people like it, we can do like, like, like Mike and I did Arnold and, and Sly, we could do like, Sam Neill and Lance Hendrickson at some point. Yeah, I mean, I'm down to he, that. Yeah, he's in my uh, in my favorite movies of all, like in my favorite movie of all time. He's in there. He's in Aliens, and uh, <clears throat> Bishop is like so fucking cool, and uh, the most heroic by not even being human. And then Millennium and Near Dark, and yeah, he he's fantastic. Yeah, but. Yeah, I think Sam Neil, like in general, Sam Neil is the one that has more. Like he, he's the bigger cat of the both of them. Like he has more main mainstream movie appearances, I think, than Sam uh, Lance Hendrickson has. Yeah, Lance Hendrickson is very much a horror um, type of uh, actor. Like he's, I mean, the vast majority of the movies that Lance Hendrickson have been in are are like you know, horror movies and B movies and stuff like that. You know what I mean? But yeah. Um, yeah. Sam Neill, like, um, has kind of done these, these horror movies throughout his career. Like, uh, the first two we're going to talk about are obviously right at, they came out the same year, right at the beginning. Yes. And then, and then the other ones came out later, but, uh, yeah, he's had a little bit more mainstream success in the sense of being in movies yeah. like Jurassic Park. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so should we before we dive in give like a bit of a backup uh, like a um, the person of sam neil yeah we can do that um do you have are you prepared yes. for that because i wasn't so yeah, yeah i have that like it's just uh i always try to like uh i mean it's for me like doing podcasts like this it's cool because i have to like deep dive into things that i actually like and i haven't done before so so Sam Neill is born Sam Nigel John Dermot Neill. His name is not even Sam. <laughs> it's his <laughs> name he gave, he gave himself. He was born in September of 1947. So he makes him 75 years old today. He doesn't look like it. No, he doesn't. Um, born in Northern Ireland, moved to Christchurch, New Zealand, age seven. Um, born with a stuttering problem. And uh, he still has to this day. Can you imagine? Like, oh, wow. he, he's a stutterer. So uh, it's crazy. <clears throat> and he started acting in 1971 in like uh, New Zealand uh, and Australian TV movies. Um, and uh, yeah, like his first big international role was Damien Thorne in Omen 3, The Final Conflict in 1981. And the odd thing, like the oddest thing that I saw and imagine 
he was in talks to be the replacement for Roger Moore as James Bond. Yep, there's even a screen test. And um, really, okay, yeah, wow, you can find it on YouTube. Yeah, it's cool. Like, and it's it's funny. Like, um, getting into like, say The Omen Three. Uh, after watching this, I could see that you know, like, because he's so like charismatic in this in this movie that like, I can see why they why they were like having having him in talks for that. You know. Sure, absolutely, man. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I mean, that's like a that's a great role to start your career at, and uh, unbelievable, man. Yeah, but the, the um, yeah, like the Omen Three, like Jackie like said, I, I know it came out. I think in March, uh, nineteen eighty-one. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I was pretty sure that I'd seen this movie before, but as I started watching it, I realized that I I don't think I'd actually seen it before, and uh, um. I fucking fell in love though. I love this movie. I don't literally the only the only thing I don't like about it is that he doesn't win at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I spoiler. Like, yeah, I, I I always wish there would be a movie where like evil wins in the end to like portray how the world actually been. And I, I don't think like maybe you know a movie or maybe someone out there knows a movie where evil actually wins in the end and you see the world as it is become like because of the evil but like with with the three omen parts it's so close and then in the end i'm like ah fuck man damn i, yeah. would, I would love to see that yeah because i was kind of like you know in omen one and omen two he wins at the end right you know and so i yeah. was kind of like watching the movie and although on some level i obviously kind of expected him probably uh, he would they weren't gonna let the antichrist kill the baby jesus and stuff you know but part of me was kind of hoping that it would because i thought that would be a lot more interesting of a movie and and then at the same time it's like you're watching this movie and you got sam neill and he's so damn like charismatic and likable that even when he's doing the most evil like heinous things like you still like him you know what i mean <laughs> sure yeah and that's like kind of like where i draw the comparison to i mean everybody like that listened to an episode of me rambling on about anything knows that i'm a huge nerd like a mark as a cone for pro wrestling yeah and and you know like pro wrestling is scripted and the best storylines and best matches is when it's sure you know who will win but like the match is so good and well structured and told that you're like for moments you really think nah dude like he's going to win like you know like he's he, the one guy is the absolute favorite and the absolute sure consequence that he will win but like for instances you're like could he really pull it off? And that's like with, with Sam Neill's character as the Antichrist, it's just like, ah, so close, so close, man. And especially after his monologue to the gigantic yeah. cross he has in his attic, man. <laughs> that's like, the, that's like it's one of the greatest monologues in film, I think. <laughs> Nazarene, charlatan, what can you offer humanity since the hour you vomited forth from the gaping wound of a woman you have done nothing but drown men's soaring desires in the deluge of sanctimonious mortality, uh, morality. Unbelievable, dude. Like, yeah. It's so good. I'm surprised I haven't heard more black metal bands use that as a sample because it's like a perfect like yeah. little sample. Dude, I, there must be because, I mean, there's two million black metal bands and like one million of them try to be satanic. So someone, I mean, there must be someone who used it yeah you think so yeah i just never heard one because it's such a perfect yeah. like uh 
monologue to use like in a in a in a song i think like it's like yeah. so it's so good <laughs> the, i mean the last sentence must be like satan i will wench thy torment by destroying the christ forever you can already imagine like blast beats starting instantaneously after that yeah exactly <laughs> it's like uh I, I to be honest in a way actually i liked this uh, i think it might be my favorite omen movie actually like i just i love this movie it is i mean Oh, it, it's really hard for me to pick one because they, as a trilogy, they're my favorite horror thing ever, I think. And I got to say that they fucked me up because they, I mean, I, the Omen movies are pretty much the reason why I became interested in satanic stuff and black metal. And I, sh I think my, my mom should have been really like more careful with like, <laughs> okay, you just sit in that room and pick whatever video you find in the shelf. And then I saw the Omen one and I remember like how fucked up I was from the, uh, from the glass plate, like chopping off the head of the reporter in the first Omen and uh, the, the, the score. And I mean, yeah, the score. I, dude, like everything I love today, this dark stuff, satanic stuff, the scores in movies, the, the, like, to me, horror must be supernatural. You know, like I, I don't gravitate to slasher movies. I mean, I love Halloween and, and I, like, I don't like Nightmare, uh, Friday the 13th Nightmare on M Street to me is a different thing because it has like the supernatural element to it. But in general, you know, like where's just like a psycho killer with an ax. That's not horror to me. That's like an extreme thriller horror to me must be something spooky and so when i found the omen and then i saw rosemary's baby and warlock and i mean we'd like brendan and i did an episode on like diabolical horror movies that's like that's like my shit that i gravitate to and there's yeah. almost nothing more perfect than i think like to me the most atmospheric <laughs> thing is like in in the omen one when they go to the graveyard like this old italian cemetery and try to find like find out like if the baby in the coffin has been replaced like by a dog and it looks like an old hammer horror movie or um <clears throat> one of the old edgar Allan poe movies you have the score by jerry goldsmith like the choir everything is perfect yeah, yeah I, I love the in the omen one like i love the score for it like, i'd like to have to buy that one because like um Particularly that that intro, like the one where he's like uh, Ave Satani, you know, like it's yeah, so, yeah. so um so perfect. Like it's like that kind of like perfect like evil choir music, you know what I mean? And <laughs> fantastic, yeah. That's I'm I mean I'm always have been a sucker for like these these choirs. I especially love like Bulgarian or Eastern European choirs. And uh, I mean, there was the um, there's the the mystery of the Bulgarian voices group, which is like 25 Bulgarian women singing. And they did a record together with um, Lisa Gerard of Dead Can Dance. And I saw that live in a church with her and 25 women singing these like weird choirs because they have such a weird vocal pattern and the way they sing the harmonies. And I think again, like that I dig like these kind of choirs goes back to me watching the Omen when I was 12 years old or something. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big fan of that kind of stuff. Like the, these choir type of um, 
performances where they got this kind of you know dark strangeness to them like um yeah. i'm a big fan of like the composer alfred schnickte who has that kind of feeling as well yes um like it was requiem and stuff like that you know and uh, yeah good or, stuff or uh gorecki you know like oh yeah 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 uh that and uh i think like i mean you said like from the three the third one is probably your favorite i have to say yeah it's to me it's probably one three then two uh even though our boy lance hendrickson is in number two um and it has like one of the scenes that like made me the most afraid was uh the the way the way the lady breaks like the guy breaks into the ice and is like uh, where they play ice hockey on the, on the frozen lake. That dude, like that's to me is still like one of the biggest nightmares is to like get caught underwater under an ice plate. Um, but the third one, I think it's uh, it's kind of like the, the the shift of the movies between the seventies and the eighties. You know, I mean, it's right at the brink, and I think Omen One was seventy six ish. I think Exorcist was 73, and I think Omen 1 was 76 or something. Let me check. Uh, yeah, 76. Yeah, and, and the third one, then it's 81. So we're in the 80s, and it looks better, has a better quality to it from the from the graphics, and it's a bit more more budget behind it, and more like of a... Like oh, like how the movies in the '80s were. So um, yeah, and like a killer lead performance by Sam Neill. Yeah, yeah. That that's the <clears throat> that's the um, the secret sauce of Sam Neill. Like I couldn't imagine anyone else really pulling this part off. Like because, like I said, like I mean, he's like likable throughout, even when yes. he's showing like true, like this kind of real evil. You know, like yeah. at the same time. You could see why he could like how he could kind of seduce people into following him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's like <clears throat> he's got this kind of um, performance that really uh, is both chilling and also at the same time likable. And um, I think it's such a perfect balance because it's exactly what you need for like an antichrist. You know, like yes, to be like it's how you'd imagine that kind of figure. And I um. I don't, I don't, I think anybody, I think if this movie had anybody else, um, it probably would not be very good, you know? Yeah, I mean, that probably there would be one or two other people, but I can't think of one on top of my head that could pull that off. Like this sinister, diabolical character being likable. And like, I always love like the, the devilish grin he has, you know, like the I know what I do here. Um, and that's like kind of like the cheeky bastard that and that he pulls off so well. And dude, like to me, still like when I rewatched all those movies, like in preparation for the podcast, I'm like, how fucking smart and intelligent is like the idea to like? I mean, the thing that they do is they they adopt the story in the Book of Revelation of the rebirth of the Antichrist and Christ's second coming with like the Cassiopeia constellation and placing the whole thing in in modern in modern politics that's like you know like i mean there's a lot of horror movies where like oh there's a demon and yeah so he does demonic stuff but like okay it's the devil's rise to power and he needs to he needs to manipulate the world and how like what better setting or framework to do it as a politician and i'm like that's today still today i think that's such a slick idea 
Yeah, I agree. Like <clears throat> it makes it makes sense, you know, like it's is where he should be in order to do that work. And it's, it's like, he starts off as, um, you know, being like a high level businessman, you know what I mean? Like, and he's doing these products that, and I think the other thing that's odd, it's funny about it too, is that, yeah, he's evil and stuff, but he's actually doing things to help people. You know what I mean? And, um, and maybe part of that is just to get this kind of, it could be like this kind of cynical, you know, plot to have like a good like PR. It does seem a little bit like that, but he's also yeah. at the same time he is doing things to help people. Yeah. Um. And so you wonder, like, you kind of had this feeling, like, even though he's evil, I mean, particularly if you're not a Christian, which you know I'm obviously not, and my my sympathies goes goes more towards his side. It almost seems like his he's not really intending for the destruction of the world or or nothing. He just feels like he could run it better than God. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. And that's like, I mean, that's the thing why, why in the story that like, why, why Satan got kicked out of heaven, because he's like, you're not the only God, I can be a God too. And it's like, I want people to think for themselves. And that's the the freedom in Satanism, Satanism that we talked about the last time we spoke on your podcast. And that's why I think this movie holds up so well, because it brings all the thinking, like the free thinking stuff together, the occult, but the politics and the actual philosophy of Satanism and everything, it's smart. It's a smart movie. It's well done. It has great acting. And I don't get why the the reviewers like were so negative about it. I don't either. Yeah. And I, I pretty much my only complaint about the movie is just like the kind of um, the ending feels like a cop out, you know, like it yeah. feels, it's like a very it's like this kind of like deus ex machina like cop out ending like and i think they did that because they were afraid that if they i think probably that you, you get the feeling that the original script was him winning again and mm-hmm. probably they had some blowback like where they were afraid of like the evangelical right or something in in america like picketing the show movie if they did that so they had to do this kind of bullshit ending you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean that's the thing again it's like back then Maybe today someone would dare to actually go all in and say, like, okay, I'll make a movie where evil wins and I portray like the world as I see it that through their eyes. Back then, that wouldn't have fl- like I think no no production studio would like give money to do that. Maybe now in the vein of these independent horror movies that become so successful, like Terrifier and all that stuff where it's like actual DIY thinking of like, this is what we want to portray, not like malignant or this kind of bullshit. So maybe someone dares to step up and say like, no, dude, I'll make a movie with a bummer ending and it will be Satan winning and I'll show the world how it looks in the chaos of Satanism or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it would be cool. Like, yeah, but definitely in 1981, they're not doing that. Like, I mean... um this was like the beginning of the rise of uh, evangelical like right movement that like created like the satanic panic in the eighties and stuff like that. So, you know, like yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, definitely, they definitely weren't going to go that far, but you feel like it originally was intended for it to do that, but they just kind of wrote in this kind of, kind of like goofy ending at the end, you know? Yeah. And back then I think still like production studios, we're not in the vein like nowadays. I think to um, to have like the, an opening for yourself is like to produce like three or four different endings to a movie, 
And now sometimes I love it when you get a Blu-ray and it's it shows like actual alternatives as an ending that you could see where they say like, yeah, we, we, we decided on this ending because of blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's this like in the Nightmare on Elm Street, there were like five different endings filmed for Nightmare on Elm Street 1. Yeah, and uh, but they're like like really short and kind of going in the same realm. But imagine, dude, like they had like the Omen, and they made one version where like God wins and one where Satan wins, and you could have like the choice when you watch the Blu-ray, like which kind of path you want to go. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, well, the thing with horror movies, if you're a horror movie fan, you're kind of used to a lot of them having kind of crap endings, so it's kind of like. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't keep you from loving a movie though, you know, because like everything else about this movie, like I thought was a great, you know, dude, like one of like Stephen King is the king of great stories and shitty endings, you know. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, <laughs> it's like uh, to me still to this day, uh, it the original it with Tim Curry, some of the scariest stuff, one of the things that holds up the most until you see the fucking spider and they shoot it with like earrings and it's just like uh dude like what the fuck is happening still doesn't make me love the rest of the movie any less yeah yeah exactly there's you know or like the end of the stand is really good oh, yeah. ending yeah 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 of like literally like a hand coming out and moving the rocket and stuff like that's pretty <laughs> stupid but like yeah. um but i still love the rest of the series you know <laughs> Sure, absolutely. And I mean, like, they, I think they really missed the chance on the stand remake. Like, it looked great. Like, the first episode was cool, and then they completely, like, fucked it up. And it's just like the original Randall flag was so fucking scary. Again, like, it's the same with, like, they did the remake of it, and they brought in all the scenes that they left out in the original one. It was more gory and everything. But therefore, I think Scarsgate as Pennywise wasn't half as good as Tim Curry as Pennywise. Right? Yeah. They um, it's uh, it's hard to hard to redo those things, you know. And I never watched a yeah. stand remake. Like um, I remember watching the stand when it first came out, and it's like like on TV, you know, like yeah. Uh, and I re- I rewatched it not that long ago, and I will say that the original series, the first like two episodes, are the best, you know. But but it's it's yeah. it's okay all the way through. But and that's the problem even with the book is it kind of bogs down. But you know, uh, it's the first episode of Stand is still like I think one of the creepiest episodes of uh, horror TV, you know. Yeah, and it, it brought uh, Blue Oyster calls Don't Fear the Reaper into my life. And to this day, I think this opening scene with that song and the camera like floating through the the corridors and all, all the dead—it's so good. Yeah, yeah, I love it. The um, yeah, so the it's crazy to think. So, Omen Three came out in nineteen March nineteen eighty one. So, it must have been filmed in nineteen eighty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then literally like later that year, that's when Possession came out. Yeah, so you must have gone from one shot shooting to the next. So, yeah. And it's crazy to like, okay, so I'm playing in two movies. Both will be super dark, weird, off horror movies. And after that, I will do something completely different. So, like, let's kick two of those movies out of the park from the get-go. Yeah. And they couldn't, they, they couldn't be more different because the one is like a high-class 80s Hollywood horror movie. Uh, and the other one is like a weird program cinema 
oddball movie. Yeah, yeah it's, see, possession's like an art. It's like art, art horror. You know, it's like a yeah, uh, art. It's like a horror movie that you're going to see in art house cinema, like um, you know, like and um, and of course in in America they didn't even get the proper version of the movie because they they did the absolutely dreadful U.S. cut of it, like. That's on the Blu-ray that I have, and I tried watching a little bit of it, and it's like unwatchable, basically. How wow, okay. how bad yeah. they mangled the movie. Oh god, I don't want to see that. Horrible! I didn't know that this existed. It's a terrible. Yeah, there's a there's even a little doc, um, documentary on on my Blu-ray that shows like the differences between them, um, mm-hmm. and you can tell how much they how much contempt they have for the U.S. version because it's not it's like a crappy like VHS like version of it like they didn't bother to like remaster it or anything oh man and Great. uh yeah it's it's pretty bad like they, they changed like the 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 music is completely different they basically tried to they completely changed the dialogue in parts where they just like crappily overdubbed like dialogue um like just like all kinds of stuff so yeah so unfortunately pe- u.s people didn't even get to see the proper version of, of the movie in 1981. Oh, man. Terrible. What a, what a horror. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. And, that, yeah. And, and this crappy recut version also um, didn't show up until, I think, like 1983 or something. Okay. Yeah. Man. So, so you know, like, I didn't bother to watch the whole recut, but um, oh. it was it didn't seem like it was uh, very, very well done. So the, the um, I mean, the, the original movie is, in my opinion, like, I mean, granted, it's already even though I, I've only seen it, you know, I've seen it two times now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, I just think it's an amazing movie. <laughs> yeah, it is absolutely fantastic. And it's like, to me, this, this proves like a tendency with like art house filmmakers if they go through a divorce and have like a shitty time, don't let them make movies because they will make the most fucked up movies. And we, <laughs> saw it, we saw it with Lost from Trier, what he did, and maybe like uh, Andrzej Zulawski, if I don't butcher his Polish names, I apologize to all the Polish people out there. Um, he was maybe probably like one of the OGs, like getting divorced and making a movie like this. And the, um, the other one was yeah. David Cronenberg with The Brood. He he with that after going through a divorce too. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, yeah, makes makes the ranks, yeah, yeah. It, so insane, man. That's and, so funny. Like the most the thing, like odd thing is like it's it's listed as a psychological drama, and to me it's like yeah, I don't know, like remotely, but fucked up art house psycho horror movie. I don't know. I don't see it as a. I don't really see it as a drama because. Um, it's too heightened. Like, like, um, these are people who are, um, from one to 10, they're like a hundred, <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like <clears throat> no holds barred, like just, um, intense, you know? And it's like, you know, as well as Johnny wants a, a divorce and it's like Sam Newton doesn't take it very good, you know? And it's like, they're like, yeah. and she's fucking crazy. And you're like, I, I really like how they kind of drip feed the information throughout because it's like, um, 
you know, first there's kind of the blowout, and then um, it's interesting watching Sam Neill kind of like figure out what some what's going on. Like it's 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 like um, it's interesting because obviously like he's positioned as being maybe like a spy or a corporate spy or something like this, and so he's he's like kind of discerning like the information, and it's like he goes through like their bookshelves. And um, I noticed this last time I watched it, he finds like um, books about like Zen Buddhism and stuff. And it's like, he, he, I think he can tell like, that's probably because of the guy that, she, that she's seeing, you know, which obviously yeah. is true. And mm-hmm. um, and then like tra- ends up tracking down uh, Heinrich, you know, because he thinks he's with Heinrich. And Heinrich guy is so like fucking funny. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's a really oddball take on a german yeah i mean you know like heinrich that's like how you say it in germany heinrich is uh it's like one of those names of like today no one calls his kids this anymore so it's already like it's a name that grandfathers have and given the time where it's been shot at and heinrich being like the age he has he's already being like this elder elderly not elderly like, like but like more mature uh weirdo art yoga guy and like yeah it's kind of like having a trippy san francisco hippie living in in west germany you know yeah well the director in the interview is on the blu-ray he said that heinrich is is like um uh kind of he's kind of in a way he's parodying like the kind of new age like people yeah. that that he's met you know like and um and in a way it's a pretty it's it's it is definitely a caricature but i mean i've definitely met people <laughs> like i would have met met some oh, yeah. hydrics, you know like <laughs> yeah and uh like fucking annoying people and um yeah that's yeah sorry go ahead i don't know go ahead no it's it's funny that like you just said i met like a heinrich guy and that's like Kind of like in Germany, when you say like, was für ein Heinrich, then you mean like, what a guy, man, what a douchebag or what a doofus, you know? <laughs> so like this, <clears throat> this name is synonymous with people like that. So like people that talk bullshit and they're like phony characters and like, uh, yeah, like kind of these, these shit talking new age hippies in a way. So <clears throat> that's, that's already the thing, man. It's like, if you want to produce like a psychological drama, you make like relatable characters and you don't have an international spy in German new age hippie, a woman that completely loses her mind in that way. So like, yeah, it's, it's like an art house take maybe on a, on a, on a psychological drama mis- mixed with like, and that's the thing, like there's a lot of curveballs. So like for a while you think like, okay, it's just like a, it's like a weird thing and <clears throat> maybe she lost her mind on drugs or like, is it aliens or is it this or is it that? And then in the end, you still don't have an actual idea of what it actually is that happens, you know? Yeah. Cause you eventually start to find out that she's like going to this other apartment, like in, um, what's that neighborhood called in Berlin? It's, um, I know it's like where the, the back in the seventies, it was like the, Konigs, uh Strasse, right? Is that where it is? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I think that was yeah. like the old like Turkish neighborhood, right? Yeah, right. yeah. And um, so she's out out there, and it's like in this like rundown like flat, you know, like that's like completely like a drug addict looking drug den looking place. 
Yeah, sure. And then, I mean, there, then, there were a lot of places like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I've heard. And it's like that, like particularly then in Berlin, I mean, there was still like bombed out like buildings and stuff, right? So it's like. Yes. Um, yeah, it's like if you if, if you watch Heaven, uh, like, you know, what is it? Heaven over Berlin. It's the German title, um, Wings of Desire. Yeah. Like the, the movie, that kind of movie, like where you have that or. Um, if you watch the remake of Suspiria, like kind of the the like where the where the dancing school is located, this is kind of the vibe they're going for. And um, I mean, I I went to Berlin the first time when it was already kind of hip, but there were still parts of it that were like run down, and people had like apartments for like 150 euros. With uh, with like a stove instead of like an electrical heating system, um, but but then like when I started touring with bands or driving bands, and you went to Eastern Germany after like in 1990, the the wall came down, and uh, like the the times that I went there, like Leipzig, Dresden, and and you played like these abandoned squats and whatnot. These places look exactly like the Berlin that they portray in, in Possession. Uh, yeah the um and you got <clears throat> my uh i have always had a fascination for berlin in general like with like the 1920s berlin and then this, this era of berlin because partly um because of first of all like you know the my favorite era david bowie's music was the berlin era like um low yeah. and heroes and stuff and um yeah. and like the iggy pop albums there you know they recorded in hansa studios like the idiot yeah. And then, and then, of course, on top of that, you have the great, um, I mean, the whole era of to follow with like Nick Cave and Einsters and Neubauten and all this stuff, like in Berlin, yes. you know, like and seeing movies like Wings of Desire and and you know, Crime in the City Solution, like you know, all that stuff. So, I always had a big fascination. So, it's like, um, yeah, it's cool to see it in this movie, you know, in that, in that era, and um the um yeah she's like got like this creature in her flat you know that she's like <laughs> growing and so it starts to make sense where you're like okay she's this thing is like driving driving her you know like she's it's almost like this kind of like um id monster or something that's like driving driving her to just act you know and um yeah. I, I i think that personally i think that and this is where i don't think this is a psychological drama it's a horror movie or a weird fiction story in a lot of ways is that I think that it's um, <clears throat> a physical embodiment of all the um, like, you know, that scene in, in the underpass when, when it's, she's like, I think it's like when she gives, gives birth to this yes. creature and she calls it the miscarriage of faith. Mm -hmm. And um, cause she's always she's saying like sister faith and sister chance, you know, and she's sister faith was like miscarried and now she's just sister chance you know so it's like she's become like just like a, a chaotic her herself and is a chaotic she's like put all this other part of herself into this creature right and it's like i think it's like a physical embodiment of all of her grief and pain and frustration and you know guilt and all this stuff yeah, and it's come out absolutely. into this creature you know and 
And she's feeding it with her, like, with basically with sex, you know, like that's how she's feeding it and it's growing as we find out in the movie, you know? Yeah. And that's, um, that's again where I, where I, like, when I watched it again, I was remembered of Antichrist by Larson Trier, whereas also where they take, like, the, like, the depression and depravity and, like, the sorrow and transform it into something so gruesome and, like, surreal, otherworldly. I mean, they don't go for, like, a physical monster entity in there. And I think it's, like, Antichrist, like, the first two-thirds are amazing, and then it just completely goes down the drain because of, like, the unnecessary sex violence. Um, but, yeah, I love it, like, when they <clears throat> when they transport, like, the feeling of something into like this story like into a monster or something and there's so many layers to interpret possession that it like you can watch it 10 times and have talks about it with people and you will still like find new nuances to it yeah the thing that's really interesting too is that um watching an interview with the director he was talking about how the creature particularly in its first stage was designed um he had an idea of like the golem, like, and yeah. I, he wanted to be kind of like a golem type of, of entity. And it's funny because I had literally just read Gustav Meyrink's novel, The Golem, <laughs> like, yeah. uh, and that has a lot of to do with like the de the double is is an important part of of uh, Meyrink's novel. Um, yeah, and that of course in this movie there's also the doubling. There's like the doubling of. Um, Isabel Jani in the form of the teacher with the green eyes. And yep. of course the the golem creature that she gives birth to is has green eyes and eventually turns into a double of Sam Neill, you know? Yes. And of course in the end, like the 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 original versions of them are dead, but the the double versions are alive, you know. Yeah. And it's kinda interesting. Like I'm not quite sure what I'm, I'm still not really sure exactly what he's saying with that, but I know that he also had the idea of um, he said it. He wanted to set it in Berlin on purpose because he wanted to show the kind of city divided. Like he wanted to yeah. have like um, a subtext of like the kind of evils of like that era and of communism and stuff that he saw grow within people in his in his country because he was like um, talking about how people. Event the kind of evil of the of this kind of totalitarian system would grow in people, and then it would change them and transform them into something else. Essentially, like where they would like be, you know, ratting out their neighbors and stuff like that. You know, like yeah, and causing evil to each other. So yeah, and it's in it. It's uh, sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say. So he intended that as kind of a subtext to this as well. I think. Yeah, and I mean it's on the back, like the, the the buildings that you see are the ones that have been reconstructed after the Second World War, where Berlin was like one of the major cities where everything took place, where Hitler committed suicide and everything. So you also had like this double thing, like where you know, like where people uh they they set A and did B, you know, like and and they try to portray someone that they're not and you know, like there's so much subcontext to that. And like it reminded me also of like one of my other favorites, um, which is the uh, invasion of the body snatchers. We also had like doppelgangers, like born from evil in a way. It's like not as metaphysical as this one, because this like I think that makes the difference between like regular horror movies like body snatchers or whatnot to position being 
a way more intellectual kind of approach to horror in a way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's like, um, there's a lot, I think the thing with this one is like with invasion of body snatchers, it's a little bit more spelled out what's going on. And, and uh, there is a subtext there, but that's left for you to decipher. But this movie, pretty much everything is left for you to decipher in a way, you know, like, yes. And he put a lot of intention into it, but I think he intended multiple layers of, of reading. So it's like, um, from listening to interviews and stuff with him, he intended these kind of subtexts to being there, but, at the same time, it's also a divorce story, and you could see the double of um, you could see it in a completely non-political way, where it's just like the a psychological, like the monster is like the psychological like grief and trauma and whatever that she created, you know, like and everything. But uh, so it works on on all these levels, and you can also just see it as like a very heightened like um, um, like divorce you know situation as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and and all kinds of ways, and it's like this. I think it's just fascinating, like how. And one thing I was thinking about, like when you're talking about the Heinrich name or Heinrich, is that um, uh, another like idiotic um fucking kind of almost a hippie was Heinrich Himmler. You know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He believed in all those types, all the same like bullshit as like a lot of hippies do. You know. Yeah. And I think, like, also, like, if we draw, like, parallels, because I think if people listen to this podcast and the chances are that this is the one movie they probably haven't seen, because I think, like, I mean, Omen 3 and and In the Mouth of Madness and Event Horizon are, like, canon to a lot of horror fans. The possession, like we spoke about earlier, is, like, pretty new to some people. Um so I would say, like, if you like Invasion of the Body Snatchers with, like, an intellectual Lars von Trier undertone, and I also think there's a lot of David Lynch in there. Like, not that I think that, um, that like, the, the director was, like, inspired by David Lynch or whatnot, but it also has, like, these goofy characters, like Heinrich, and the overacting, but also like this drama and this this absolute savage darkness that is like in between all the laughter and like weirdness. Yeah, I would agree. And I mean, yeah, this, at this point, Lynch had only really released like a racer head. So, you know, like and maybe uh, Elephant Man. So mm. it could even go the other way that Lynch was somewhat inspired by this, you know, like, um, yeah. But yeah, I would agree. Like, if you're a fan of Lynch, you probably like this movie, you know. And like, um, sure. The other thing that I thought was interesting watching it the second time that I picked up on was that I think a lot of people get confused by Sam Neill's character in the movie because at first he's just like psycho, like jealous and all that stuff. But once he he watches, like Heinrich gives him like these like video, these like um, home movies, you know, um, and lets him kind of see who what's it's almost like that allows him to get an insight into into her into her you know and from that point on he's not acting in the same like crazy jealous rage like he's trying to understand understand isabella johnny's character and what what's driving her and it's like and he ends up trying to like clean up after her there for a little bit too you know and it's like and there's like a conversation he has with like his like we're like whatever, whatever they are, like corporate boss or you know whatever. I think it might be like maybe in a government like agency or something. 
where he's like talking about how he's not going to leave the the dog to die alone or whatever. Like, so it's like what he's doing is because of of his sense of loyalty to Isabella Johnny, even with everything that's going on. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And you could tell that his whole like idea of what's going on transformed. Like instead of jealous rage, he's like attempting to understand. It's very interesting. And I, I think also a part, and maybe that's a good segue into, into the next one is, uh, Aside from Omen 3, there's one underlining topic in the, the other three dark horror movies that like Sam Neill was in. And this is like a prime example here is the topic of insanity. Yeah. Of, of people losing their mind. And uh, I mean, you can see that both like both these characters, like driven by jealousy, rage, um, I don't know, like just like this, all the dark urges and all the dark feelings are transformed into like people leaving this movie completely insane. And like from like watching the movie, this is the one that leaves the the audience members like most disturbed, I would say, and like probably like not going insane, but you can lose your mind about like all the small details. And uh, I mean, insanity is pretty much the underlying topic of of the 1995 movie uh, in the mouth of madness. Would you agree? Yeah, I'd agree. And um, real quick before we get in that, I just wanted to, to just quickly mention like how much I loved uh, Isabel Johnny's performance in Possession as oh, well. Like, yeah, yeah, dude, unbelievable. I was a, I've always been a fan of her since I saw her in uh, Nosferatu from 1979. Yes, and um. Yeah, it's, it's like, like it's just that in the movie you got two absolutely captivating performances from Isabel and Sam, and it's like amazing, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 surreal. Like this 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 subway scene where she gives birth, like the milk, like I don't know, like how do you prepare for something like this, or do you just like give it your all and just lose your shit and just like go ape nuts? Yeah, I think that's what that's what she did, you know, and and it's yeah. like, I think it's that that willingness that they both have to go insane, and obviously that probably is why John Carpenter wanted Sam Neill for In the Mouth of Madness, you know? Yes, because it's again, it's it's all about insanity in this movie, you know? Yes. I mean, and now we're like, uh, it's it's uh, 14 years after the first first two movies. He's become a big player now, like not a leading character, character, but he's been in like some big productions and he's a like a no, well-known face and uh, did a lot, a lot of voice acting. And yeah, so John Carpenter, um, he made uh, he made this movie as a part of his so-called apocalyptic trilogy with the thing and Prince of Darkness again both absolute stellar masterpieces yeah and yeah in the mouth of madness is still a movie that like is uh, it's not left behind but uh, it has a cult following but it's not I mean of all these three I think the thing is probably the most renowned like well well received movies. Prince of Darkness, a lot of people know, but in the Mouth of Madness is still like an oddball movie to some people. Yeah, yeah it's kind of peculiar. Like, I mean, I think all three of these movies are on on a par with each other, um, and and it possibly in some ways I actually like in the Mouth of Madness and Prince of Darkness more than the Thing personally. But it's like, um, 
so I'm not, you know, I feel like they're all three like fucking brilliant movies and I don't really understand why this one doesn't get attention. Maybe it's from when, when it came out, you know, like yeah. it was 95. It came out kind of in the middle of this kind of um, a period where horror was um, maybe not at the forefront, you know, in yeah. some ways. Uh, I guess you could say like, I mean, Although there were plenty of great horror movies coming out in this this time period, there maybe it was a little bit. Um, it just wasn't in. There. Maybe maybe if it come out a little bit later, or a little bit earlier, it might have yeah. had a little bit more attention to it. But I mean, it's a movie out of time, anyways. I mean, it's not. Um, it feels like it could have been made any any era, really. You know, like. But I think it's a great time for it to, for it to be made before like the kind of CGI era, because like. All the special, the um, you know, creature effects and stuff in this movie are perf- are perfect, you know. Yeah, and it's it's also again like with uh, the Omen One to the Omen Three, like the the changing of the guards in a way. Look at like Mouth of Madness in '95 and Event Horizon in '97. Like Event Horizon is like one of these like cyber looking things, you know really computer really neon really weird coloring and mouth of madness has like this grittiness of the 90s tv productions to it which i absolutely adore and uh which also the prince of darkness has whereas the thing has like a big budget look you know and uh it looks almost like a like a almost low budget movie um, but it has a typical '90s John Carpenter thing going, it, like it has from the from the score and everything. But it just looks a bit weird, and I can I can see that. I mean, if you look at like how popular and influential Poe is, and how much people love Stephen King, Lovecraft is still like a bit too niche for a lot of people. And this movie has Lovecraft lit- written all over it. And probably that's why people cannot relate so much to it, like maybe you, I, Mike, or others have, because we're suckers for Lovecraft. Yeah, I mean, and I think that um, the character of Sutter Kane feels like if you took Lovecraft and Stephen King and combined them together, you know, because yeah. um, some of the aspects of his stories are more Lovecraftian, but then the whole idea of like this kind of small town that he writes about and stuff is very with Stephen King, you know? And, mm, um, yeah, but still has a Lovecraft. It all has, yeah, it has a Lovecraft feeling all around. And it's like, um, I think what's great about this movie is you have, um, Sam Neill coming out, um, as being like this kind of, he's like a, a private investigator type of guy. And, uh, you know, again it's kind of funny because it's kind of like he's playing um, a similar type of role as maybe he did in possession in the sense of like he's like some type of like detective you know in a way yes right yeah and um except for this one he's very like he tries to be he's like i'm like hard-nosed like you know type of uh detective guy you know like he's you, you get to show him that like very early on in like the first scene with him where he like manages to wheedle out wheedle this guy who's like trying to do an insurance you know yes. um yeah because he's like an insurance and that uh claims guy and um so yeah the sutter kane goes missing they're waiting for his not novel in the mouth of madness and and um sam Neill's character goes off to find him you know and it's like um 
with um, this other lady who is, uh, I think, was she like the the editor? Mm, yeah, yeah. And um, I think it's and as they go on, they I, I really love the part where they're driving down the road, and all of a sudden you see the guy on the bicycle. Oh man, yes, 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 yes. And it's like they go into like some other dimension or something at that time. Yeah. Very, uh, very Stephen Kingish kind of character, I think, and uh, just looks great. I think that whole scene, like, yeah, like falling asleep and you're not knowing where you will wake up and what is happening, is uh, yeah, it's fantastic. And I mean, it starts out already like it's cool that they, you know, like they do like this cluster where they start out in the in the psych ward and he gets incarcerated and uh the whole imagery with him painting all the crosses in his cell and uh the way he acts there and then you see like this cut away and then the story is like told from the beginning i like it when stuff is done like this where it's not like a linear movie but you start out at some point you go back to the past and then in the end you gravitate back towards the point where you started yeah yeah i think it 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 drives like um interest in the story because you have this kind of position where you can see where the outcome is you're like okay he's he's in this weird mental institution that looks like very like horror movie mental institution you know like yeah. and uh, it looks like Arkham Asylum or something, and yeah. and on the surface he seems like he's acting kind of crazy. We almost feel like he's like he's like acting crazy. You know what I mean? Like he's not actually crazy, but yeah. it's like but you can't really tell. You know the way he, way Samuel plays that you, you can't really tell if he's actually crazy or if he's like pretending. You know? Yeah. And it's like uh, and then you're like, how did he get in here? What's going on? And then he tell yeah. So then it drives like the storyline to be uh, the narrative. You know? Yeah, the whole thing is like pretty much like the, <clears throat> the yeah, in, it's not in the mouth of madness. It's pretty much the whole story is like falling into the mouth of madness, you know, where where the lives are torn between reality and fiction, and the lines blur, and uh, such such good storytelling in this. I um, absolutely like like I watched this was the last one I watched. I watched it yesterday night. And I was just like, man, how good is this movie? And I was like, okay, don't read anything before it. And now, since I've, I've been reading a lot of Lovecraft again, it's like, let's see if you can find all the references. And dude, it's just like, it's drowning in Lovecraft references. <laughs> really? I never really know. I didn't know that. Um, what kind of references you noticed? Dude, was, first of all, it's in the mouth of madness, and you have the mountains of madness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 That one. Yeah, the um, the 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 lady in the hotel is uh is called Pikmin. Yes, yeah, Pikmin's hotel. Yeah. Um. Then the stories that Sutter Kane writes is the Whisperer of the Dark, where <laughs> uh, the Whisperer in Darkness. You have a story, the thing in the basement, and Lovecraft has the thing on the doorstep. We yeah. have Hunter Hunter out of time. And you have the Hunter of the Dark and the Shadow out of Time, and the Hops and Horror, and the and the uh, town that is set in is uh, called uh, Hops End, which is also a reference to the Dunwich Horror. You know, like it's it's so crazy, like how blatant, like the the stealing was. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's cool. But have you have <laughs> have you? Uh, 
heard the story of the of the theme music, like of the first song that plays that Carpenter did, the story behind that? No. It's um it's it's a ripoff of Enter Sandman by Metallica. Oh, oh yeah, that's right, because he wanted to have that I forgot about it. Yeah, that's right. He wanted to have um the Metallica song in there, but they couldn't yeah. get the rights or something, right? Right, yeah, and then he did something, and I, I don't remember it, and when I played it, I mean, I have, like, this uh, Best of Lovecraft, like, score vinyl, and the, the theme is on there, and, like, I always play it, and it's just, like, it's such a fucking cool rock song, and it's just, like, oh, yeah, right, you can clearly see that he tried to rip off Enter Sandman. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot, a lot of stealing, a lot of stealing uh, can go on, and I mean, like, one of the, of the nods is also when... Um, when he goes into the office of the boss of uh, of the of the book company, and he gets to uh, meet Linda Stiles, the woman that she will go eventually on the on the hunt for Sutter Kane with, and like he's like, oh, so he's a big deal, and I was like, yeah, uh, he you can forget about Stephen King. Kane outsells them all because I think in the early '90s, Stephen King must have been one of the most successful authors in the world. Yeah, I think he was the most successful author in the world at the time. Like, you know, like, yeah. um, you know, I think like some of his books have sold, sold almost as much as the Bible. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> crazy. The, the, uh, the, um, what was I going to say? The, um, I think it's cool. I mean, I think he, I think John Carpenter is trying to put a lot of these little, like, uh, you know, these little details in for people to, to kind of, um, see you know what i mean like yes. that and then that leads to a little like nods to what he's drawing upon you know uh, but the storyline itself like is unlike anything any of those authors have written because it's like yes uh it's like and it's hard to wrap your head around a little bit where it's like sutter kane is writing the the book and and sam Neill's character is a character in it you know what i mean and and it's like he's writing in reality what's happening on the screen so what we're what we're seeing on the screen is the novel right <laughs> yes 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 it's very and, uh, very bizarre <laughs> yeah absolutely and um i mean the whole thing is like where i mean we have like the lovecraft stories everything is about insanity people going insane in the stories and yeah, sometimes it's like that's always the reference. I read the lot, like I like the, read the Necronomicon by the Mad Prophet Abdullah has read, and this and the reference to books. But this movie is like blending like the pages of reality. Is when you can see it later on when they're in the church and Sutter Kane rips himself like open, and it's like a piece of paper. What a what a insane ingenious kind of thing to do man it's like i've never seen anything like this in another movie no yeah and it's like uh it's really like you're where as a viewer you're very much like as it goes on you really don't know what's real and what's not is it all is this whole movie the the novel in the mouth of madness or is there any point where there's reality you know what i mean yeah like the whole thing maybe is a Sutter Kane novel. We don't know. Like we don't really know. It, even at the end, we don't know. Like uh, really, I guess we're kind of positioned that when Sam Neill comes out of Hobbs End, that he's back in reality, and the novel's already been published, and there's a movie and all this stuff. And yeah. and the but but then in the movie, when he's watching the movie, it's it's 
it's the movie that we watched. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it was like, he, I mean, he always says like, this is not reality. This is not real. And then the last line in the movie is like on screen where you can see this is reality. And then he starts laughing maniacally because he, he himself in the movie says this is reality. And he sits there in his in his like uh, in his outfit he gets at the at the psych ward and, and like covered in the crosses, eating some popcorn, losing his mind, laughing, and then he starts crying while laughing, which reminded me of the thing in uh, oh dude, what what is that that that, that uh, oh, I hated it this uh, this Taiwanesian horror movie with uh, the sex craze zombies. Oh, I never, I didn't watch that movie. The sadness, yeah, sadness, sadness, right? A terrible movie, hated it. But the idea that I think, like, uh, it was like they pinned it, like, they had, I, I don't know who said it, like, on Necromaniacs, that they, you know, you see them laughing maniacally doing these horrible things. At the same time, they can't close their eyes and they start crying because, like, in their mind, they probably see what they're doing. But they can't just stop doing it. And this is kind of like the face that I saw him like when he like he laughs maniacally and then he starts like crying while he still laughs. That's such a such a spot on end to a movie, man. It's it's great. Yeah, I mean, I just fucking I love this movie. Like, um I want I, I actually just watched this one um as well, like um for Halloween last year. I watched this one in possession last year. And um and so it was like um, pretty, you know, rewatching and again, like now pretty fresh. And it's just like every time I watch this movie, I'm just like instantly sucked in, you know, like I just like you it's it, it does like the thing with John Carpenter that I think is amazing as a director is that like all of his best movies, like when I watch like The Fog is another one or Prince of mm-hmm. Darkness or Halloween are these movies like I instantly and like you, you just turn it on, and next thing you know, you're sucked in, and you're watching until the end. Like it's they have this propulsive, yeah. like kind of like energy that you just can't stop watching. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's exactly what it, what happens in the movie with the books that he talk, talks about. That people go insane because they can't stop reading it. And I mean, when he when he starts, when he buys the books to do research, and you see, like he he burns through these movies like really fast. And that's the thing like with like Lovecraft books, it's uh, to me as German, it's hard to read Lovecraft because there's so many difficult words in there that I don't know and kind of just kind of his style. But Stephen King, man, I can like read these stories like through really fast. And I think that's what made these stories so popular because they were easy to digest. Yeah, and that's kind of like what the Sutter Kane thing is that people go crazy and want more. And the thing is, I remember when the whole Harry Potter mania started with with like you seeing kids and people waiting in front of the bookstore and they, they open up running in and reading it. I was like, this is like like some Sutter Kane shit right here. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. And and you you don't see that very often anymore, like with books. And it's like I think it's kind of cool, though, in a way, like. And yeah, Stephen King's definitely like that. Like, um, did you ever read his novel Revival? No, uh, dude, you need to read that. Like, I think it's possibly one of his best novels of all time. Like, it's it's a it's very much inspired by Lovecraft and like Arthur Machen and stuff. Yeah. Um, 
and it's very it's so good and i literally read it in two sittings like i couldn't stop okay. i was so like uh it's not a, it's not one of his longer books it's probably about as long as maybe like salem's lot or something um mm-hmm. and and i just i could not stop reading i was so like curious i just wanted to know what the fuck what is going to happen you know and it's like and it didn't let down like the end it's the ending for that one was was great like and it's interesting because stephen king said that he wrote that novel with the ending in mind and the whole story is propulsing itself to the ending so wow. and it was like one of those few novels you know like um i think it was that like ground poe talked about the singularity of effect where yeah. the short story is all designed to achieve that that the propulsion till the ending where you have this like kind of singular singularity of effect you know yep like i i would say the revival is when one of the few novels i've read that has that feeling like the same feeling that you get in some short stories where it's all like proposing to the end where it has this effect um revival was like that so i, I highly recommend it. i think anybody who likes mouth of madness will like the revival novel it's like one of stephen king's best yeah i have to i have to go more into king i <clears throat> i have like a guy like a dude that i friends with on facebook so he writes for a metal magazine he just recently because he's like a, a scholar when it comes to king and he like posted a picture of all the books that he has and all the stories in the right chronological order and then he made one with his favorites and then he made one picture with the interconnectivity of the books so like an insane project and i was like ah oh, dude i have to read more of that but i have so many books on my shelf right now and i'm like with the days that I have in school, it's so hard to get more like than ten pages in. And I just, uh, I just finally bought Watchmen, like the paperback, and uh, re- reading this for the first time. And I rewatched the show of Watchmen. And so, like after that, I need a book, and maybe I'll like get revival and like put it on beforehand because it sounds really good. Yeah, I really like it, and um, yeah, like. My favorite Stephen King novels is it's pretty much like I like like that one. I like Salem's Lot. I like The Shining. Mm. Um, I like a lot of his like more mid-sized novels. I'm not as big of a fan of like his behemoths, like The Stand yeah. or It or something. I find it almost impossible to finish those novels. <laughs> yeah, they're too long. Yeah, it's yeah, and it's also like I I'm not I I can't read three things at the same time. You know, like there are people that can have several books and they read a chapter of this book here and next day they read that. If I have start one thing, I want to finish it off. And uh, I mean, I can do it with shows now, but I used to be like this. If I watch one show, I want to finish that. And then I watch the next one. Um, but yeah, with books, like my, my attention span, because I, I, I'm reading all the time, but I'm just reading papers that I have to grade and shit students wrote so it's really hard in the evening when you like try to kick it back and you go to bed and it's like oh let's read a chapter and it's like oh two pages and then i'm snoring so right. uh yeah I, I found i've been reading a lot more short stories um yeah. over the past couple of years for a reason because um i can i can like read a short story one or two sittings you know like before i go to bed or whatever and and then yeah. you know i can like read different short stories from different books and stuff like that yeah um, to go back to the movie, you just said like in an earlier sentence is that, that the, the, the special effects and the, 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 the like the, um, not CGI, what do you call it? Practical effects. Yeah. The practical effects monsters. 
Do you like how they look? Like the monsters that come out of the pit? Yeah, I think they're cool. I, I think, think they look I like I think they look corny now. Like I think it and that's that's again I think a credit to the Lovecraft thing because whenever you read a Lovecraft story, <clears throat> everything is really creepy. But if you see drawings of it, for example, you know, like the um, at the Mountains of Madness, like the beings, the this is the Shogoths, I think they're the Shogoths. They like the flower pineapple kind of things. It's like, how do you like actually draw them to be scary, you know? And it's just like with some Lovecraft stories, when I watched uh, Lovecraft Country, that show, it's also like, it looked kind of silly. I think the the makeup they have for, for the cop that beats up the, the kid in the side alley, when he has like the monster, like plastic makeup, or the, the all the people with the disfigured hats, the, the monster, like the, the, the picture in the hotel that shifts, or Miss Pickman, when she transforms into that monster, that's all cool. But like when when the, the portal opens and you see like these creatures running behind him, I'm like, I think they should show even less just, you know, like you see it for like one second, two seconds, then cut. They should just show it for like brief instances that you have like these images and you have to put in the maths to like actually like try to envision them. But for me today, like I think that's the only like small criticism I have that they look kind of silly. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I mean, I didn't really mind them so much, but yeah, it may be a little, little, little corny. I think like when it comes to Lovecraft creatures, I think to be honest, one of the best portrayals of a Lovecraftian being I've ever seen is, is in Possession. Like that thing in Possession. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Feels more like Lovecrafting being also because of the way that he shot them, shot it, like in kind of shadows and stuff where you, because you can't really quite tell what you're looking at. It's yeah. like your brain is like trying to process it and you're just like kind of horrified. You know what I mean? Like you don't quite, you don't. Yeah. And it looks like legitimately like, um, it doesn't look like a rubber monster. It looks like something like that's alive, you know, like some type of weird thing. So of like some like alien substance, you know, so yeah, I think um, maybe in Mouth of Man is, is a little bit less successful at, um, at creating a, a Lovecraftian being, but um, yeah. it creates that feeling at least. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. Like I don't, I don't. Like, it doesn't take anything away from my uh, like five point rate, like five star rating. To you know, it's just like that today. I, I like from seeing it now i wish that could have done a bit better it's just like maybe a bit shorter which also will be like a discussion point for the last movie when we take the like segue into that there's this infamous scene where the discussion like i wish there was more and i i always ask the question do you really want more do you need more in this case like it's all cool and like to me it could just been like a brief like instance of a second and not two seconds but that's just like you know like Maybe if it's like a, a five five point zero, and maybe that draws down to like a four point nine nine or something. Right. I absolutely <laughs> love this movie. It's uh, it's fantastic. It has, I mean, aside from uh, <clears throat> Sam Neill giving a kick-ass performance as John Trent, you've got Jürgen Prochnow, which is like a great German actor. You've got the always uh, always great. Um, Dude, like shit. Where did I put the name? The lady, the uh, Francis Bay. Yeah, 
Yeah. The, the Miss Pickman, who's also in Twin Peaks. And uh, to me, the biggest thing, which is as always like I always still give myself like a high five, Wilhelm von Homburg, another German actor, the guy uh, probably the most people know from Ghostbusters 2 as Vigo, uh, and also who's in Die Hard. And he's uh, he's the father with the shotgun that tries to save his son. Yeah, and uh, that to me is like I. This guy has like a face that I will always remember, and I absolutely always like make a jump. It's like yes, fuck, William is back, the <laughs> Wilhelm. So yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, he's great, and then, yeah, I love the guy playing um playing Sutter Kane. Like he's just he's one of those guys who was in everything back in like the eighties and nineties. You know. <laughs> Yeah, Prochno is a great guy. I have like what I didn't find out the the guy that is the uh, the boss of the book company. Uh-huh. Remember his face? Yeah, is I I I was like I didn't like research it, but I think he's the guy who was also in RoboCop. Like he's also the 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 slimy boss in RoboCop. Yeah, but he has like one of these corporate uh suits you know assholes in 80s and 90s movies so that might be because robocop was from around the same time yeah, yeah robocop was um 87 i think so yeah. not too far before well, also robocop is a movie i want to cover at some point i don't know like if any one of the horsemen wants to tackle it like I'll, I'll hit, ta- hit me <laughs> I'll, we can tackle robocop that's like my favorite movies ever <laughs> well, all right okay yeah. so we've got a lot of new topics yeah so def- definitely we should cover robocop like that's a that's a fucking i i just bought the um the unrated you know director's cut version of it last year yeah. on Blu-ray. so fuck yeah <laughs> and it has like so, so many like specials and stuff i want to crack the service on them so all right like, cool. it'd be cool give me another give me an excuse to rewatch it and watch all the special features on it and everything yeah, I need to get my hand on it. I got a, just got a like a shitty old blue uh, DVD, which is also the uncut version, but no special features. I need to get my hands on something good. But yeah, those two movies, like first and second one, I fucking love. Yeah, yeah. Well, that yeah, that maybe I'll be the next uh, next time you come on, we'll, yeah. we'll cover RoboCop. All right, sweet. So um, yeah, let's uh, segue into the final, right? Yep, Event Horizon, which came out in nineteen ninety seven, and um. Yeah. This is uh, the one, only one of these that I actually saw in the theaters when it came out. So, <laughs> yeah, I was like ten years old. <laughs> nice, yeah. I was, uh, I was, I had just turned eighteen when this came out. Yeah. The um. And so, um, yeah. I, yeah. So this movie's um got a pretty simple setup in a way because you know, Event Horizon was a uh, spaceship that that. Sam Neill created the was it called a gravity drive mm-hmm. that is supposed to to basically go. I guess it creates like a black hole and goes through black hole to go to another space. Yeah. When they activate it, it disappears, and then then all of a sudden it comes back, and so they're the they're sent to go um, check it out, basically. You know, and it's by was it is it Saturn? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Which is an interesting idea that that it shows up by Saturn, which I don't think is is um, of what we find out. I don't think it was accidental that they set it um, off of Saturn. Because oh no, wait, it's 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 sorry, excuse me, it's Neptune. It's, oh, it's uh, Neptune. 
Yeah, it was this the the it said the maiden voyage to Proxima Centauri, and it reappears reappears in the orbit of the Neptune. Okay, Neptune. Well, still, Neptune has a Saturnian type of element to it. But would have it been better for Saturn though, because yeah, that yeah. would make more sense. But yeah. ne Neptune still makes sense in a lot of ways with where it goes, you know. I just recently, like, um, when I when I did research on that, and like I said, I just uh, just read uh, Watchmen, and uh, I mean, <clears throat> I always like attend these podcasts, talking to you, talking to Mike, talking to Brandon. And it's like most of my friends and people that I want to hang out with live like 8,000 kilometers away. And this blows. So like, you know, like Dr. Manhattan, like he was a threat to, to, to the people because he could just appear and reappear and go wherever he wants to. Or this is like kind of like the, the, the folding of space and time, just like go through a portal and you're somewhere else. Like this whole idea of a tele teleporter, and if that would ever be possible, this is something where I fantasize about, like, you know, where you yeah. don't have to travel for hours and it's just like snap and you're there, you know, that would be one of the most amazing uh, inventions that people could ever do. I, I don't need to go out of space. Like, I just want to like, okay, so let's spend the weekend somewhere where like on a mountain where it's cold, snap and you're there, you know? Yeah, I would love that. Like, um, I think that'd be one of the coolest fucking things ever to just be able to step through and go wherever. Like, and you know, and you don't have to spend thousands of dollars to travel somewhere and go through all the hassle. Like, you could literally just like, you know, I want to go to Germany this weekend. Let's go through like a little portal and be there. You know what I mean? Like, it'd be so sick. Oh, man, imagine like all the shows you could attend all the bands or all the bands you want to see will eventually play around the corner from where you are because you don't have to like travel visas and fly for hours and, and take everything like it would be so cool would make life so much easier, I think. Yeah, particularly like for someone like, like I really like want to travel like a lot of places and it's like be a lot easier if you had something like that than if you have to like spend like thousands of dollars to travel where anytime you want to go somewhere you know yeah and then you have to rely on on like you know trains and planes and everything and i mean i i don't have a problem being on tour sitting in a van looking outside or like in the train but like i mean just like <clears throat> flying to the states it's always like you travel to the airport then you fly forever We'll probably have a changeover it, it takes forever you know and so much time that you lose and i mean like it would be insane if i just like snap and would sit next to you now and like right now here it's dark it's evening and all the lights are on and with you like the day just starts i mean you would have jet like anyhow but you would save so much time that you lose on traveling yeah yeah, exactly. I always thought about that if that was like a possibility for reality, like it would probably be something where you had like teleportation stations or something, maybe, you know, like yeah. where you had to at least had to go to the place where and then the teleportation station could lock it on different coordinates to different places. But I don't know how that would work, but I mean, I think it would be sick. If the... Yeah, I have mm -hmm. no idea of like of like scientists that actually like try to figure out how to do this. But I just know like with the luck that I have in my life, I would be probably like, oh, it's your turn and you go in and then the stupid fly flies in there with you. <laughs> you come, and, and you come out in the other end, you look like the fucking fly from the movie, you know. That would, yeah. that would be my destiny. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, or you like, or you do like happens in this movie, and you step into some hell dimension. Right, right. It's like, oh, sorry, like there was the wrong coordinates. <laughs> yeah. Yes. This also like this is the funny thing about this. Like I wrote, like I just looked at my notes. I'm like, why the fuck did I put in Disney? Like, well, what, 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 what is my note with Disney? It's like, no, it's not the TV show. It's like, oh yeah, right, because the big trend of all alternative realities, you know, other dimensions which has been explored with Disney or is being explored with everything that's going on right now, which started kind of with Loki and the Red Witch and uh, like Dr. Dr. Strange and now Ant-Man and now DC is also kind of doing it. I mean, it's been in comic books forever. And this is kind of like the same idea where like the, the what like the dimension, is it hell? Is it like another dimension they've been to? Is this dimension just something that to us looks like a hell? Era again has so many cool aspects that you can think about. Um yeah. Well, I think um in the movie, uh he says something about it being a chaos dimension or something like you know, they they went mm-hmm. to and uh, <clears throat> a dimension of pure chaos. You know, and um, yeah. that almost reminds me more of like uh, Michael Moorcock or something where you have uh, and Michael Moorcock stuff. There's all these planes of existence and there's like planes of order and pl- planes of chaos, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it almost feels like you want this kind of plane of chaos. And yeah, and it's, it's interesting with, with Event Horizon because it's like, you know, they go to this ship and i remember seeing the movie and it was very creepy like it's still creepy watching it now particularly seeing it the first time and not having a fucking clue what was going to happen you know what i mean like you're you're like watching them like dock into this um into the event horizon and everything and and they're exploring it and it's so creepy and you don't know what's going to happen and and um and you know like they start having these weird visions and stuff you know and they start and they find, you know, um, and it just slowly starts unraveling, you know, and, and like the one guy goes into the gravity core. Oh man. Yeah. Which basically means he walks into a black hole, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it, it was just a crazy idea that, that it's a black hole. Like this gravity generator is actually a, like a concentrated black hole. And yeah. it's like, um, because you know they're developing black hole generators in um, in like France and stuff right now, you know. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. So it's like there's a lot of. I mean, there's there's the whole the hawk about Chat GBT right now. You know, like being like this artificial intelligence that all the kids in school now use to to hand in papers. You know, and have like a, an AI write the text for you. And to me, it's like, you know, I look at these things and I'm like, this is some like cyber dying system shit, you know, like next step is like Terminators, like uh, uh, Skynet will take over and yeah. like they develop black holes. Like, have you idiots learned nothing from the movies we all watched in the <laughs> 80s and 90s? It's like, what the fuck's wrong with you? I always say that because I'm like, we're literally heading towards a Terminator future right now. Like, I mean, they're literally, I saw like some military robots that look like Terminators. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. and I'm like, I mean, what kind of fucking twisted fuck watches Terminator and goes, you know, what's a good idea? Terminators. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, but obviously there, there's some asshole out there who saw Terminator and had like, 
the you know um, dollar sign went over his head. Yeah. You know, like right. That's... And you know uh, what? What will make me really pissed <laughs> if this all all this shit goes down, and at some point, like Terminators will kick our asses, and I still don't have a hoverboard. You know, <laughs> like this. That's the fucking thing from the future I want, you know? Like, I want a fucking hoverboard. Not that I could ride it, because I was always too dumb to ride skateboard, but, like, I want to have a fucking, like, uh, fucking hoverboard here. <laughs> I was, like, as a kid, like, watching Back to the Future, I'm like, this is the fucking shit. Like, I want to have that. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's, like, it's... Uh, I love, like, movies that, like, give you something to think about, and I thought a lot about, like, possession and... The Mouth of Madness is, like, pretty straightforward. The Omen is really straightforward, but, like, the Event Horizon thing with, like, different dimensions and alternative realities. I remember, like, leaving the cinema back then. I mean, first of all, it appealed to me because, you know, like, we spoke about my love for the Black Hole, the Disney movie. And um, so, like, it had the same atmosphere, but then it turned really creepy. And the first time you hear Liberate Me, I'm like, okay. With the creepy noises, I'm like, I'm interested. And then how this whole thing possesses and like when like Justin steps into the core and comes back. It's just there's so much good stuff. <clears throat> and then it's like latest when they decipher the log. It's like, okay, so this is probably one of the best movies of all times. Yeah. Yeah. It gives you all this little information as you start to figure out what's what's happened to the crew and um and and then you get the the log, um, the cipher, which shows them literally like murdering each other and stuff, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, um, and I and I think that's what you mentioned earlier. I personally would have liked to seen a little bit more of it because I feel like it's a little too. It goes by really fast. Like you, you kind of just get a couple. I forgot how fast it goes by until watching it again this time. I was like. You literally just see a couple seconds of this log, you know, like I think yeah. you could have had a little bit more at least, you know, um, I could have done it differently. Like, I think they shouldn't like at that point, <clears throat> imagine like it would be a scene of like two minutes of just like gore. I mean, like they they hired some amputees and some porn actresses to I mean, like they talk about rape scenes and everything. Like, imagine like the fucking thick fucking shit that they like put in there like, that would be like an r-rated movie you know like it would be probably like on the index for a while um sure like i would love to see like what they did but like now i've seen it so often i think it it takes it, like it's sometimes it's good to tease something you know like instead of giving you the full deal it could be like as a special feature i would watch it but like in the movie itself i think it's cool like that yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily think we needed a full, like, two minutes of it, you know? Like, um, although I would like them, it would be awesome if they found that footage and put it on the Blu-ray, you know, like, yeah, um, as a special feature. But, um, like, uh, yeah, I mean, personally, I, I could imagine just a little bit longer because it's, like, very, so short, but yeah. it gives you enough of a vision of what the fuck happened. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's kind of shocking. And, and then... Uh, underlying all this you have sam neill's character who like again they kind of like rely on his kind of um like um you know him seeming like just kind of nice normal guy at the beginning right 
You know, like no. he's like the scientist guy, like, you know, <clears throat> he's the guy who designed the gravity drive. Um and then you very you slowly figure out that no, this guy's fucking crazy. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like <laughs> and he's like even before this thing went to the fucking hell dimension, like he obviously sees the event horizon as like his home or something. Like he's just like absolutely obsessed with this ship you know and his creation it's like his creation like he's like a mad scientist you know what i mean yeah and then that's increased by the ship itself possessing him apparently or him becoming like symbiotic with the you know it's like he's like like um him and the ship have become one or something like he's become the avatar of of the dimension that the ship has gone to or everything you know and it's amazing like his performance when he is so good in this movie yeah it is insane and like one of my all-time favorite graphics is when when the hell vision comes and um, and then sam neil gets like sucked out i don't know like where it's positioned but you have like the 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 lookout from from the bridge on into space is like this cross yeah you see like the silhouette you know like like jesus christ in front of the cross like the neon lights and you see just the black silhouette of him and then he returns with all the scars on his body which again reminded me from the look of almost him like in mouth of madness with all the crosses in his face yeah exactly and i and it's interesting watching some of the special features on the blu-ray is that um they they really designed the ship purpose purposefully to have um, based off of like notre dame was yeah the, right yeah, and so the whole ship has this kind of like medieval, um, like future, like medieval like shapes and stuff, and this kind of futuristic guys, you know, which I think is awesome. Like, and like the the gravity drive is positioned almost like the altar of the sh- of yeah. the ship, you know. So it's like a kind of like the whole ship is like this cathedral of evil, kind of, you know. <laughs> yeah, especially like that room, man. I mean, it it looks fucking insane. It looks like a like a massage ball inside out you know like with all the spikes and everything it's uh it's crazy and like the black liquid it's uh yeah it's insane man it's also like to me when i watch it and you see like the scenes where it's almost filmed like the um the 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 spaceship that uh dude like fuck i forgot the name of like an aliens like when they you see like the outside of the spaceship flying by um nostromo nostromo and an alien yeah yeah and um it looks like to me like the first thing i saw it looks like a cross again so you have like these unintentional references to religion in a way and then it's like the theory is like another dimension or did they like go straight to hell you know like chaos dimension but i again like it has this satanic satanic like undertone it's also when in mouth of madness when they enter the church like from the outside it looks really clean and they go in and you see like some of the windows are upside down crosses so and it's also like in possession like the demonic thing it is it's like i mean omen is like straight up satanic you know but everything else plays with the image of evil and like the religious evil in in like satan or something yeah i think all four of these movies the underlying current it, there's two underlying currents is um evil and madness you know like <laughs> yeah yep. like um like madness is a little bit less than omen three but definitely it plays a part in the, re- all, the rest of them and uh yeah. 
definitely there's a religious um element to all of them and um and maybe an exploration of the of of evil of the idea of evil and yeah and what that means and and that that shows up in in all of these and this one i think is is very explicitly like this type of type of evil um but it's positioned in a way as like is it actually evil or is it just like some type of chaos yeah a madness type of type of thing you know like but there is a satanic element with like the 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 words in latin and everything like that and yeah yeah like like he seems like some type of like i feel like there's a little bit of positioning when he comes back and he's bald and stuff where it feels like almost a little bit like um pinhead in a way like where he's like this hell priest you know yeah, sure. Yeah, and that's the thing that I wanted to mention too. It's like it's the same thing that the dimensions that the Cenobites come from. It's not hell, you know. It's like it's another dimension of wicked, deceiving, evil, you know. And to us, like with our mortal and like religiously framed uh, sense of right and wrong, good and evil, light and dark, to us it seems like hell, you know, because that's what. What the, the holy books and all religions tell us what hell is like. But it might just be another dimension where people actually live and just have like a different set of like life, you know? Yeah, it's a different form of life or, or standards of life, you know, like with Hellraiser, it's like this dimension of pain and pleasure, you know, like. Yeah. And and this it's a dimension of chaos where life takes an alternate form. Like they say in the in when they do a life reading on the ship, that the whole ship has like life readings throughout it. So it's like the ship yes. itself is alive. Like the the inanimate matter of the ship has become alive. Like almost like the the crew like murdered each other and then became like a symbiotic with the ship. Like they like entered the ship. You can see in a section of the ship where it's all just covered in blood and guts and stuff. Yes, but it's like, right. it's like, it's almost like they became like fused with the ship in some way, like where they took on this um, alternate alien form of life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's like, the, it's like this, this topic runs throughout all these four movies and maybe probably that's why they all resonate so well with me because that's that kind of the stuff that I think about, you know, and that's what I mentioned earlier, like with like slasher movies, like mostly don't get me to think about stuff uh, or like, you know, like I enjoy it, but like, I like the movies that have like these dark undertones. So the, the, the horror stuff that I read, like if I read folk horror, it also has something to do with like demonic stuff. And, you know, like this, this is the kind of stuff I gravitate to and all these four movies are super dark and has like this yeah like you said touch upon insanity and what is evil and like what should what what life could be what life is you've got a lot of metaphors to like transfer to your own life or to your own reality and that's like what i like so like that's why all these four movies are like in my book of like fucking cool like all-time favorite movies yeah yeah me too i mean I think these are four of the greatest horror movies made, you know, like, and for me, like my favorite type of horror is like, um, is like this kind of stuff, you know, like, 
Um, I do have, you know, I, I have a, a part of me that enjoys like some of like the kind of goofy slashes like Friday 13th or something, but that's a whole different type of ballpark. And I don't, it's not my favorite. It's not like my thing. You know what I mean? Like it's something that yeah. I can watch and I enjoy, but it's like, it's, it's kind of goofy at the same time. Like it's kind of like this, like when I was a kid and I was getting into like music, different types of music and stuff and I found metal, you know, or, you know, I got more into metal, like going from like listening to like the basic stuff, you know, like ACDC and Black Sabbath or whatever to finding other things. You know, I found, um, I heard about stuff like death metal stuff, like cannibal corpse and whatnot. But the thing was like it, I didn't really get into it because it was like, didn't really resonate with me that much. Like listening to songs about people being murdered and stuff like wasn't, didn't really get me, you know what I mean? And then it was like later on when I found black metal, um and then we have metal like morbid angel and deicide and stuff that's like satanic and evil yeah that's when i found the stuff that like i got really got into extreme metal was because i found this other stuff that was something i could relate to you know like and that's how i feel about these kind of movies is these are the kind of horror movies that i relate to you know yeah sure i can totally relate that's like i always say that's why i listen to black metal and not to grindcore you know like jason forey's and his machete or like his wheat cutter or whatever he just plows people and that's like kind of how grindcore works you know like just devastation and sheer brutality and black metal has like this dark under undertone to it this nihilistic atmosphere that's just like something i prefer more to does it mean like grindcore is bad no hell no i love like a lot of grindcore stuff it's also like i can watch slasher movies and i can watch jason movies because it just like it is entertaining but it's entertaining in a different way that like these four movies like they intellectually stimulate me in a way and that's what i want you know like i i just want to think about the movie and i want to be sucked in by the atmosphere and like these four are they all have like their minor flaws i think like from like all in all like given taken out of time that possession is probably the most perfect because there's nothing i can you know there's nothing to criticize about that with like the 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 omen there's something some stuff i mean the carpenter like the mouth of madness had like the monsters i think with the event horizon the effects are a bit outdated now you know like the neon cyber stuff <clears throat> still like five out of five movies all of them for me yeah me too i mean i would say i would say possession is probably the 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 best movie like as far as just like on a kind of artistic intellectual level but i mean the thing that's great about all of these movies is that all of them are really intellectually stimulating. And that's what, that's what I like. Like they're dark, they're sinister feeling. They have a lot to think about, you know, like yeah. a lot to, to ponder over. And it's like, um, I think that, uh, it's, I mean, it's funny that, yeah, like Sam Neill just like, he picked like four of the greatest horror movies to star in, you know? <laughs> Isn't, isn't that surreal, man? I mean, I mean, he must have gotten a lot of scripts like over his time to like, hey, you want to do this? Do you want to do that? No, he picked like four movies that are all in their own sense outstanding and just makes me like this man even more. He looks like a cool guy. Uh, I mean, he won't listen to this podcast, I assume. But uh, <laughs> if someone listens to it and, you know, Sam Neill, give him like uh, give him a high five from us. 
Like there's an American and a German. We're big fans. And yeah, Sir Nigel John Dermot Neal, aka <laughs> Sam Neal. What a what a what a champion, man. Yeah, I, I almost wonder like um it's interesting because they all have these kind of similar themes. And you're wondering if the the reason why he picked them is because he's fascinated by those types of themes himself, where he wanted to be take part in these kind of movies that have explored this stuff, you know? Sure, absolutely. I mean, he could. I mean, there probably were like horror movies that he got offered that it could have been commercially more successful, <clears throat> but he took like niche movies, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, um, I don't think any of these were particularly successful movies. Maybe Omen Three. I don't know how successful that was, but like, no, it was was poorly received, man. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of funny. Like, I know Event Horizon really didn't do well. It was it's it's like a cult movie, you know, and same thing of in the mouth of madness like but yeah, people uh, hate people hated it in the beginning but it's like all these movies got a cult following by like the actual diehard horror nerds like we are you know like yeah. that's like the, that's the same thing with like look at the success of terrifier too like that wasn't like a big studio and it wasn't like the audience that goes to cinema like on the weekend for 20 bucks watching malignant with like way too expensive popcorn but it was like the diehard fans and like word of mouth and like, you know, this is the kind of shit that I grew up with. And that's like what I love. And I'm happy that like there are characters like Sam Neill that always go against the grain. So like I think even like maybe Jurassic Park was like, I just want to be like in a big thing for once. I don't know. But like, I mean, he must have had his reasons. And I mean, he can't pay the bills from this shit and then he can still do like roles that he actually wants to do. Yeah. Well, I think the funny thing about um, Jurassic Park, when you think about it, is that uh, Steven Spielberg uh, casts like in his three leads, three um, actors who are primarily known for weird genre movies. Like you got like Sam Neill, you got Laura Dern, who is like in like, you know, Blue Velvet and Wild at Heart, you know? Yep. And you got like, Jeff Goldblum, who of course was in The Fly and all kinds of like weirdo, like you know, like horror and sci-fi movies in the '80s, you know, <laughs> like yeah, I think well, yeah, I forget. Was he in um, was he in the the Invasion of Body Snatchers remake in '78? I forget. Ooh, uh, wait, wait, wait! I can't recall that right now. I can't remember. I know he's. I know he's in Independence Day. That's the important thing. Yeah, yeah, he was in then '95. So it's just kind of funny to think about, like you know, he, Steven Spielberg is like, you know, I'm going to hire these like three like great genre actors to be my leads in this movie, you know? Like, yeah. But um, like, and in, in a way, I mean, you got to think like Jurassic Park in a way is kind of like a is that it's at its base a kind of kind of goofy um genre movie, you know, about dinosaurs coming to life. <laughs> you know, yeah. it just happened to become this huge blockbuster, you know. Yeah, unbelievable. But yeah. yeah. Did before we close out, did you watch Skin and Rink? Uh not yet, no. I have okay. it on my on my PC. Um uh I I didn't have the time, like I told you, like everything's really rush and busy right now. And I think it needs time to watch it when it's kind of quiet and slowed down. Yeah, I sat and watched it with my headphones like in the dark, you know, so it's a good way to watch it if you can, or you know, like with the sound up and everything. So like, um, okay. Yeah, and I, I um, definitely uh, interested to see what you're gonna think of it because I love that movie. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I I haven't listened to the Necro episode yet, 
um but yeah i think a lot of people that i think have taste and know what they're talking about back it so i definitely want to check it out yeah yeah that's a it's a great movie um the one movie you posted um what was it that ma ma de ojo like the evil eye um mm -hmm. my friend yeah. sent me sent me uh sent me that i'm gonna try to watch that and haven't gone around to it yet because we were i was fitting in all these movies to watch as well yeah yeah it's a this this one was cool because um that's maybe a cool like closing out thing is that uh mouth of madness had like the premiere at a german at the fantasy film fest which is like a, a year old tradition here it's a festival a touring festival that runs every year so they have like the white nights which is in january where they have like one weekend of like eight movies and then in late summer they always have like a week and they tour like hamburg berlin cologne frankfurt munich and they premiere a lot of like outsider movies it's not specifically horror but it's like a lot of horror it's like weird fiction and also like theme movies that are like outsider art that probably won't get a good distribution and um that's where i saw the evil eye and that's for example where i saw the lodge like a year before the lodge came out into cinemas and uh yeah and like the mouth of madness premiered there in 1994 so that's like a tradition that's been going on forever and that's oh, really cool. cool yeah and that's where i saw the evil eye like some weeks ago at these january like the fantasy film fest white nights and really enjoyable movie yeah yeah was it good <clears throat> my friend said it was good so it's impossible it to find here but so she sent yeah. it to me yeah that's why i was like oh so this is a folk horror movie about a witch taking possession and blah blah, blah. i'm like i love like everything that comes out of mexico and spain at back and the story sounded cool it's not like a, it's not a, like a five out of five movie but for like a witchy folk horror movie it was really really good i really enjoyed it. it has like it gives me feelings of mother mother i think that was the name you know like that austrian film like what my mother my mother i don't know what the english title was um yeah i know what you're talking about i hadn't seen that one yet so yeah it is like uh it's good it's really 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 enjoyable good movie so like if you've got the chance like definitely go on and check it out yeah i will i will watch skin and marine and let you know what i think cool yeah that i uh i really liked skin rink like um very good movie like uh very it actually got got to me like i was watching and like it made me jump at a part like not like there's like a jump scare but it just made me like creeped out you know what i mean so <laughs> yeah, and that that i mean that that's something that doesn't happen a lot these days so like i'm curious yeah i'll check it out this weekend probably yeah no i'm not yeah not too many things creep me out uh it's funny I think about like um like in the past like I've had times where I've watched more like extreme cinema type of movies stuff like that. I'm not interested in that kind of stuff anymore like at all. Like I don't care about gore in any yeah. way. Like I don't give a fuck. Like I don't want to see some gory movie. I want to see yeah. movies that like creep you out and give you this atmosphere and make you think and you know like all that kind of stuff. Like that's what I want to see and that's why I like Skinnerbrink cuz cuz it, it was a movie that I was thinking about a lot, you know, after I watched it and in the same way that like all the movies that we covered, like I was thinking about them, you know, like, yeah, like possession, like is a movie in particular, like 
each time I watch it, I see new things from it and I start piecing together the movie even more and understanding it more. And it's like thinking about it and pondering like what it, like what it means and all the levels of meaning and everything like, and uh, that's what I like. That's what I want to see in movies. Sure. Absolutely. I totally back that. Like I, when I watch mouth of madness, like there's so many facts and I think like, Oh, maybe there's a director's cut of that. You, but the only like gory thing you see is like a hand with some chopped off fingers. But I'm like, I don't like it doesn't need any more graphic violence, you know? I mean, with Terrifier, yes, I can see why they did it. But it's like I generally don't gravitate towards gore. I don't need that in my life. I mean, it's cool if you like it. Sometimes like blood and violence is like incorporated in a good way. But all these four movies work perfectly fine without seeing blood and guts in like huge amounts yeah yeah like yeah i mean like i said i know people who love that kind of stuff and it's fine like if you like all that gore it's just it's not really my thing you know and and as i get older i get less interested in watching this kind of movies it's all about that oh but yeah but but yeah like um i don't know like uh hopefully someone out there listens to this and maybe hasn't seen one of the movies and goes out of his way to or her way to watch these because all these four fucking movies are legends and i'm really happy you asked me to like do this episode man yeah i'm glad we did this because um it was really great to watch all four and and again you know i and um I think it makes a really good like little movie, you know, little mini movie festival to to watch all four like, in a row or in whatever order you feel like watching them in, and like it's kind of interesting. Like if you watch them in a row, because you watch the first two and they're like Sam Neill's so young, and then you you know he's like I think what a, you know thirty something, you know, yes, like, yeah, thirty three or something like that, and then you like or not even I think he's probably like thirty, no, it's like thirty three, yeah. and it's like. And then, like, later on, you get to the 90s, and he's, you know, in his 40s, you know. And it's funny because he yeah. looks exactly the same now as he's looked since in his 40s. It's like he hit 40, and he just yeah. stopped aging, you know. <laughs> yeah, what a hunk, man. 75 <laughs> years old and still looking great. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I hope people go out and watch him. And even if you watched these movies before, go watch him again. Yes, <laughs> absolutely do so. Yeah, man, thanks, Carl, for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Ralph. It's great talking to you. Like always, appreciate you. Let's see. Stop.